I, I just uh, I found that video. I don't know if you guys remember what it was like to be in elementary school or middle school, junior high, that kind of thing, where it's time to pick teams in phys ed. And for some of us, that was a that was a okay because you know we were we maybe we were picked first. But for many of us, we had this this times where we were chosen and uh, maybe chosen at the very end. And it's a it's a it's an awkward feeling. I think you know there's there's a part of us that kind of laughs at something like that, but there's oftentimes the laugh is kind of an awkward chuckle because we had experienced that ourselves. And uh, you know when we're chosen first or early on, there's that kind of sense of yes. Or at least relief, at least, uh, you know, I was chosen. But for those of us that maybe are chosen at the end, where there's an embarrassment and a rejection and a shame that comes on us. And uh, I don't know your life experience. I don't know, uh, you know, the times that maybe you've been in that situation where you feel left out. Maybe that is God even around? Is Am I cared for? Uh, but this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at our identity in Jesus. And as Carol encouraged us just to to take this home and to, to read it again and again, I, I think that's a good word. But we're going to look at it this morning. And I, and I want to share this with you that Paul says right at the very beginning of his letter, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the first part of that blessing is this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. One of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God is that none of us is chosen last. One of the things that Paul says at the beginning of his letter here is, is just this, that before even time began, he had you and he had me in mind. He had a longing for relationship with every one of us. And it's and it's it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that because you know we we are going to celebrate um, communion in a little while and it's a celebration of all that Jesus has done on our behalf to to forgive us of our sins. So how could if Jesus just came a couple of thousand years ago? How could God from the very you know from eternity for all of time actually uh, know us and choose us? And I was reminded of this scripture in Revelations chapter 13. There's a description of Jesus. And I'll just read a very small portion. We sang this morning, uh, Alleluia, words of praise to Jesus, the Lamb. And this is what the writer to the, of Revelation says. He says, he, he looked into heaven and he saw many worshiping and, and those, he said, that were written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. That God knew the predicament that we would, each of us would be in. He knew the brokenness that would be a part of each one of our lives. And so before even time began, he, he prepared a sacrifice. He prepared to actually bring himself on our behalf. And so because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because he is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world, that God actually chooses you and I to be his children. And so none of us is considered a second pick. Uh, there are, Jesus says in the Gospels, there are, there are t- people that come into the kingdom early and those that come in late. But, but the beauty of that is that it doesn't matter what time you come in, is the grace that is given is the same to each one. And so from the very beginning this morning, as we consider our identity, I want us to, to reflect on and to remember that, that each one of us has been chosen from before time began. And that's a comfort and it's a joy to us that he would know us from, right from the very beginning of everything. 
And then he says, after that, he says, not only are we chosen, but he says, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In this church, we're blessed to actually have, as, as Jan just shared, and there's, there's others who, uh, who have either adopted children or who have provided foster care to, to children whose uh, families are experiencing a, a, a particular type of brokenness that they can't no longer take care for their kids. And so those that, that help to foster and those that actually encourage and, and resource them uh, in our church. And it's, it's an amazing thing that, um, you know, I think sometimes in, in this life, the adoption that takes place, uh, many are looking for kind of the perfect kid. But if we were to, to dive into, as Lorraine Ennis said, into the Word of God, such a way that we would know the mind and the heart of God, what we find is that Jesus, that God the Father, when He adopts us, it's not based on are we the perfect kid that's just going to fit, you know, our little hope for lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. That that God, when He looks at us in whatever state we are in, He loves us and wants to to pull us into His family. And uh, and I've really haven't found any other expression of this uh, better than the one that uh, Jesus is going to put up on the screen. It's about a five-minute video. It's a little bit long, but I think it really gives a good picture of the adoption. My favorite quote of all time was our furnace repair man comes into the house, stops dead in his tracks, and says, this looks like some kind of United Nations meeting. I was born in Bangkok. Bangalore, India. Connecticut. And I was born in Romania. Ethiopia which is in Africa. In China. <laughs> Sharon is the gas pedal, and I am the brakes. Over and over she'll say, I found this child who needs X and Y and Z, and all we'd have to do is fly over the ocean, get funding, connect this dot to here, and it'd be done. We're such victims of our culture because our culture tells us your kids have to look perfect and be in all the perfect schools, and you can't do that with a big family. But if you just concentrate on what's important, the rest will follow. People discouraged us. They thought we were going to ruin our lives by taking all these special kids, and they said, you don't know what to do. And it's true that we had no experience, and we didn't really know how to raise them. But you, you see what happens with unconditional love. You give a person unconditional love, and they, they blossom. I feel like having these kids has really helped us find our life, find our meaning, find our purpose. It took me decades to figure this out, but there's no physical thing that you can buy that's actually going to give you true peace and happiness. And the pure joy that will come from a, a rescue and a ransom of a child's life is probably the most satisfying thing you can imagine. We talk about adoption. We tell them they're adopted and we kind of tell them, you know, being born into a family, you don't even decide that. It kind of happens biologically. But when you're adopted, your parents looked out at the whole world and picked. You think that they don't really know the gravity of them being rescued or saved. Then you'll see them in an external setting like one of them is in front of 300 people last Friday night, and he tells people that he probably wouldn't be alive if he hadn't been adopted by his family. Those are like the goosebump moments when you go, he's got it.
and how great um, in Romania at least at the time when I was born um, when you were when you were born with a, a deformity quote quote it um it was considered a curse by God I was um, kind of distance and not treated right and kind of not really getting any care that a, a normal baby should which is why when I was one and a half years old, I weighed nine pounds. It was rough in the, in the first year of my life, but I lived. But no matter where you were before, it's like where you can be now, your past doesn't define that. This family has proven that. It's just like you have a dying boy from Romania or starving kids from Africa, and you bring them to a, a place where they can be, I guess, human to the fullest, and that, that's, that's a generous, generous thing. Family is everything. Interesting. <laughs> His family is just people you can be a fool around and they'll still love you. Awesome. No, should I do the Denny face? <laughs> family is something that I can count on. Family is adoption. Family, it's adoption, and it, uh, it doesn't matter what we how we come. It's that the Father loves us, draws us to Himself. It's there's so many things in that video that just remind me of of the gospel of the good news. Uh, the the fellow that was playing the piano, he said this. He says, "I would have died without their adopting me." Family is coming to a place where the past doesn't define us, but where we can be human to the fullest. That's the gospel right there. Jesus once said that I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. It doesn't matter the brokenness of your past. What he has come to give is life, life to the fullest, whatever that looks like for each one of us. And the father says this. He says the pure joy that comes from the rescue and the ransom of a child's life is probably the most satisfying thing you can imagine. Jesus once said when he was uh, speaking about the lost, he says there's more joy in heaven uh, over one lost sheep, one who is lost that comes home than over 99 that don't apparently need him. And and in this adoption scenario with this family, they're living it. There's the pure joy that comes from the rescue and the ransom of a child's life. And just this other phrase to you, that adoption, it's like your parents looked out at the whole world. Could have picked anybody. They picked you. The people of Israel, the the family of God in the Old Testament, God came to them in their time of brokenness. They were in Egypt. They were enslaved. Their life was extremely broken. And they were crying out to him. And so he brought them out of the land of slavery. and, And then Moses, the one who God had chosen to lead them, meets with God on the mountain. And this is what it says. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. And this is what God said. This is what you, are, you Moses, are to say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Now you saw what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You didn't carry yourself out. I did it. And it was all by grace. Now if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, God is saying, I could choose anybody. Although the whole earth is mine, 
It's you who will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God looks over the whole of I want you to be a part of my family. He says that to the people of Israel then, and he says it to the, to the church as it was established in, in the, at the church of Ephesus as we're reading. But Jesus also says that to us. I choose you. What's that, what's that kid show? I, just, I don't know if this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I choose you, Pikachu. I don't know. There's not enough teens here to... But it, you guys, for those that have kids, you might know what it is. But there's a, cho- there's a choosing of, of in God. And then how do we know that this adoption is true and, and that it's real? And as Jan read for us this morning, it says that we are, uh, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Um, when, maybe when you have been applying for a job, or maybe uh, for some of us, when we went to school, um, the school that we are going to, they want to have our transcript. And they want to have not just a copy of the transcript, but they want, this is the college that I went to, and you can see here that it's got, it's got the official seal of the school. And so, because if, I, I w- if I'm applying for a job or something like that, they want to know that what I'm saying, what I've done, the education that I've received or the work experience that I have, whatever the case may be, that it's authentic. I think we have somebody here who's a, who's a Red Seal carpenter. There's, there's a standard and then there's a seal that says, yeah, that's, that's who you are. That's what you're able to do. And what Jesus has done is he said, okay, you are my sons, you are my daughters. Well, how are we to know that? Well, he's given us the mark of his Holy Spirit. And he does that in a variety of ways. And so one of the markers is just that we begin to see the fruit of God develop in our lives, the love, the joy, the peace. The, maybe, the, maybe we were very impatient, but God starts to shape us. Maybe not all right away as quick as we would want, but we become uh, a people who are patient and who are kind and who are good and faithful, who are able to practice self-control. All of these different fruits, God begins to, to grow into our lives and and, uh, and he also, I think a mark of the seal of the Holy Spirit is that we begin to recognize uh, God as a good father. As, so because Paul says, you know, when God puts the spirit of God in us, we become his children, his sons and his daughters. And it calls, causes us to cry, Abba, Daddy. We begin to recognize that, that he is not just this, this distant God who's just waiting for us to screw up so he can just send down a lightning bolt from heaven and just smack us across the, top of the head. But he's one who actually receives, as we have in the picture here, receives the lost and the broken and pulls them into his family. And also the, the mark of the Holy Spirit, again, is something that we encourage and seek to grow here in our church is, is, is that the gifts of the Spirit... And it says this, the salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's in Hebrews chapter 2. And so Jesus has his own certificate, as if you will, and he has his own seal. And he says, this is authentic. The Spirit of God, as it changes you, shows that you are my son and that you are my daughter. And because we are chosen and because we are the sons and daughters of God, finally, Paul speaks about that, that we are heirs. In him, he says, we were also heirs, having been destined according to the plan of him who works everything out in the conformity with the purpose, purpose of his will. I think we often look at inheritance as and, and, and of being heirs. I think oftentimes we think about it as um, there's loss involved, but there's kind of instant uh, you're instantly rich. You instantly have something that you didn't really work for, 
And, uh, and if it suddenly becomes yours because you're associated with an individual. And that's certainly part of the gospel, that because of our association with Jesus the, and his death and resurrection, he releases an inheritance to us. What Peter says in his letter, uh, I think it's first or, first or second Peter, but it says you know, that we have an inheritance that can never perish, it will never die, it will never spoil, it will never fade. That, that God gives us this inheritance that, that is ours forever. And it's because of Jesus and his death. But I'd like to suggest that inheritance is actually more than that. It's not just us receiving and suddenly prospering uh, based on what somebody else has done. But inheritance in the Old Testament, when, when the people of Israel came into the, what God promised them, the promised land, that from fathers to sons and, and within the families, an inheritance would be passed down. But the inheritance wasn't necessarily, it, sometimes it involved money for sure, but more often than not, it was actually land. And so the father would give to, to typically his firstborn, but to, to a member of his family, uh, the land that, that he had worked and used to, to provide for his family. He provided now that to his son so that he in turn could do that. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important distinction because I think what oftentimes we, uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but we're like, yes, God, the, all the treasures of heaven, please let them be mine. Let me just be rich in you. And there's truth in that. That's certainly part of the gospel. But I think if we look at inheritance as land, land isn't necessarily money. Land is a means to be able to provide for yourself and for others. So it can lead to prosperity. It can lead to life, but it is not life itself. We have to actually do something with it. That which is released us, we have to do something with it in order for us to be able to provide not only for ourselves, but for others. And I think as we close this morning, that I think that's one of the things that God wants to invite us to be a part of in terms of his kingdom work, is that he has released things to us. He has released the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. He's, he's released that sense of, of knowing that we are children of a good, good father. Uh, for what reason? I don't know if you heard this, uh, but it says it three times in this, in this very short passage. It says, uh, we were adopted as his children for what? To the praise of his glorious grace. And in him we were also made heirs that we might be for the praise of his glory. And he gives us the deposit and the seal of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we would know and be to the praise of his glory. What does it mean to live to the praise of his glory? I mean, certainly it involves the times that we gather for worship, and it's an opportunity for us to, to sing his praises. But what does it mean to live to the praise of his glory? I think what it is is that we are to declare and to demonstrate the character and the nature of God. We are to declare it and to demonstrate who God is in the world. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. We see Abraham, who's our father in the faith, who was called by God. And God says this. He says, Abraham, I will bless you and you will become a blessing. Why? So that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And then when those people go into into slavery and they experience brokenness in this world and the and uh, God calls them out and at, the, at the time of the Exodus. And, and what we find is that it isn't just the Israelites that come to freedom, but in Exodus chapter 12, it says this. It says that actually there's a, there's a whole mixed multitude that also went up with them. So it wasn't just the Jewish people, but actually there was a whole group of others that kind of got, got to go along for the ride. 
more than a ride, got to go into the promised land. It wasn't just about the one people of God. It was that all the nations would be blessed. And so it is with the church. We are a chosen people and a holy nation and a, a royal priesthood, as God has declared, a people belonging to him. But why is that? Is it just for ourselves? Is it just for us to have a great inheritance? Paul says this, God raised us up, us the church, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. So we are a demonstration of the grace and the kindness of God. For we are God's workmanship, he says, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God releases an inheritance to us that we as his people might demonstrate and declare uh, who he is. He has been graceful to me. Let me demonstrate that grace to you. He has been so good to me. Let me share of the inheritance that he has released to me. Ultimately, we, we see this in the person of Jesus. In Matthew 20, Jesus says this. He says, you know what? You know the rulers of the Gentiles. So he's basically saying, oh, you know, in the world around you, you know what the rulers do. They lord it over their people, and their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the one who, in the Gospel writer John, he says this, all authority in heaven on earth was given actually to Jesus. He had everything of the Father's treasures, but did he keep it for himself? Or did he use it to forward the Father's kingdom? Amen. He gave himself as a ransom for many. And it's actually, what's interesting is that word that was for many of the people that came out of Egypt with the people of Israel. It's the same word there when, G- when it talks about Jesus, that he gave his life as a ransom for many. It's Jesus giving his life for the blessing of all the nations of the earth, for everyone and everything. You know, one of the uh, sons that was uh, in that video, the one that was born in Romania, Uh, You may remember what he said. He says, in Romania, when you're born with a deformity, people understand that to be that you're cursed by God. And and of course, that isn't true. But what I want to share with you is just this last little bit of good news that would would shape us as creatures, as the children of God, is is this, that, that Jesus himself actually became a curse for us so that we would no longer be under any curse says this, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This morning we come to the communion table and we, we come to celebrate uh, the truth of Jesus' words, not just because he said it, but because he lived it. 